Welcome. Thanks for joining us today on the Venture Podcast. We hope this message encourages you and inspires you along your journey. is one moment I'm in my car and the next moment I'm standing in the most majestic place I've ever seen in my life. A stadium bigger than any city I'd seen before. I looked down into the center of the stadium and there was this huge platform. And on the platform were these beautiful white stairs. And at the top of the stairs, there was a throne. Then Jesus looked out over us and he said, prepare your hearts for the coming judgment, where you will stand individually before him and he will judge you based on the eternal things you did with your life. And then he said, welcome my beloved. I have longed for this day when I could welcome you face to face and reward you for the things that you did in me and through me. Daniel Scott Mathewson. It was only by the grace of God I could climb those stairs. And I looked up at Jesus and he said, Daniel, relax. This is not a punitive judgment. Your sins have been paid for. And it was such a relief to hear him say that. He said, Daniel, this is a rewards judgment. It's as it was described in my word. Your life is like a house, a building. And when you accepted me as Lord and Savior, I became the foundation of your house, your life but you chose the kind of structure that you would build. The the bema is like a flamethrower. It's a purifying fire that'll go across your life. And the things that you did, where you invested for eternity, it will be revealed today as gold and silver and precious stones. And the things that you did where you lived for your time on earth, where you invested your life there, It will be revealed today as wood and hay and stubble and it will burn up. Daniel, you're gonna be evaluated based on the quality of your life, how you invested in eternity. You're gonna be evaluated and judged based on the stewardship of your life and only your life, how you stewarded what I gave you. And finally, you'll be judged based on your motives, the things you did out of a heart of love. I said, Jesus, I don't think I did anything out of 100% pure motives. He said, you didn't. (laughs) He said, Daniel, you're human and fallen. 
That's the beauty of the Bema. The purifying fire reveals the dominant motive. And then we began to see my life. Have you ever heard that phrase, I saw my life flash before my eyes? I saw my life, but not in a flash. Jesus and I watched my entire life. When everybody else was up here, I, I thought they were here for just a few minutes. But I realized now I was only seeing a summary of their lives. We, we saw as my parents brought me home from the hospital. <laughs> Tiny baby. They lived in that little apartment. I saw how much they loved me. I never realized how much my dad loved me. And those childhood years just started to burn up. See, I didn't have a foundation. I didn't know Jesus yet. And so there was nothing to build upon. But even still, I was surprised how sinful I was, even as a kid. Lying and manipulative. Parts of it were hard to look at. But when I looked up at Jesus' face, I, I noticed his expression never changed. And I realized he can't see my sin. It's covered by his blood. And then we saw that pivotal day when I was 10 years old. I was up in my room alone. I'd been to vacation Bible school and they talked about hell and it scared me. And we watched as I prayed a child's prayer. I just got down on my knees and I said, Jesus, I don't want to go to hell. But I'm a sinner. But I know you died for me. Will you forgive me? Will you save me? That, that prayer was so simple. But what I watched was so profound. I mean, I saw my soul go from death to life. And I watched as the Holy Spirit sealed me in that. And I looked up at Jesus as he watched it. And I noticed there was a tear in his eye. He said, Daniel, thank you. Thank you for believing me. Thank you for receiving my gift. And I said, no, thank you, Jesus. Thank you for saving me. And I just felt his embrace. He said, Daniel, we can evaluate your life now. Because from this moment forward, you had a foundation. And the decisions you made from this moment forward determined the kind of house the house of your life and what you were building. And I wish I could uh, walk you through all the years. Well, maybe not all of them. <laughs> but, but as I was there at the basement and we reviewed my life, three things stood out to me the most. Three things that I just learned that day looking at my life from this perspective. And, and the first, the first thing is that what Jesus thinks about something, what Jesus values is more important than anything else. I mean, if only in all of life, I had asked Jesus what he thought, what he valued. See, I, I had this problem. <laughs> I wanted everyone to like me. 
was more insecure than I wanted to admit. And, and so I was always looking to other people. I wanted their approval. I was always kind of gauging the crowd. And I valued what they thought more than what he thought. And over and over again, I could see the mistakes from that. I mean, we saw it right after I became a Christian, when I was just a 10-year-old little boy. I, I watched as one day I was on the playground with my friend Jimmy, and we played together every day, and we were having so much fun. And, and then this group of older boys walked over. And I looked up, and even as I saw them walking, there was just this part of me that thought, that's the group I want to be in. They called out to us and they said, hey, Daniel, we're going to play some baseball. You want to play? And I said, sure, we'd love to. And they said, oh, no, Daniel, we only have room for one. We want you, not Jimmy. And as they said it, uh, I kind of looked down at Jimmy and he said, it, it, it's okay, Daniel. If you want to go play, you ought to go. And I, I said, really? You don't mind? And he goes, no. I don't mind, I'll probably just head home. And I ran off with my new friends. And I never looked back. Until today. When I saw a little boy crying on a playground. And I, th I thought, why did I care so much about them and not him? It only got worse my teenage years. <laughs> Oh, I was so insecure, but I was determined. I, I thought if I had the right clothes and the right hair, I would fit in with the right crowd. And so I threw myself into every fad. And it was the 80s. So it was bad. I mean, bad. And so many times my dad would say, no son of mine is gonna walk out of the house like that. And I would look at him and I'd go, oh yeah. And I looked at myself from the Bama and I was like, Daniel, Daniel. I said, Jesus, why, why did I do that? Why, why did I care so much? And he said, Daniel, I'm the bread of life. If you had been nourished by me, if you had spent more time with me, you would have known what I thought about you. How much I loved you and accepted you just as you are. And you wouldn't have been looking for it everywhere else. You'd think it got better when I got to college. It, it really didn't. I, I mean, when, when I got to campus, I went with my best friend, Jerry. And, and we had been friends all the way through high school. Jerry, the Jermeister. We, we had it all planned out. We, we were going to room together and go through school together. In fact, we were going to work together. I mean, we had the rest of life in front of us, and we were so excited. When we got on campus, I remember pointing to Jerry. I said, hey, Jerry, that's the fraternity we're going to be in. My uncle was a part of it. He said, don't waste your time with any of the others. That's what we're going for. And Jerry kind of laughed. He said, Daniel, I, I don't know about a fraternity. I said, trust me, Jerry, trust me. We're going to do this. And I convinced him to go through Rush with me. And sure enough, a few weeks later, I was at a party and one of the guys pulled me aside. He said, hey, Daniel, don't tell anyone, but you're in. And I said, yes, wait till I tell Jerry. And he said, whoa, whoa, Daniel. I said, you're in. I mean, you're a legacy and all, but this isn't the right kind of fraternity for the Jerry's of this world. 
So what do you mean the Jerry's of this world? He laughed. He said, I I think you know what I mean, Daniel. And I knew what he meant. I hated it. But I was so conflicted because I wanted to be in. And I went back to our room and even when I walked in, Jerry knew. He said, how'd the party go? I said, it was good. He said, they want you, don't they, Daniel? I said, yeah, yeah, it looks like it. He said, have you heard anything? He kind of laughed. He said, Daniel, I think we both know the fraternity, they, they don't want me. I stood there kind of awkwardly. And he said, but I mean, if this is something you really want to do, you, you ought to go for it. I said, really? And he said, yeah, yeah, your uncle was in it and all. It, it won't change anything. And I said, Jerry, you are so right. It's not going to change anything. And off I went and I joined the fraternity and my new friends. And it changed everything. And I never looked back until today. And I saw how many times my friend was alone in that room. I thought, why did I do that? Jesus, why did I care so much about what everybody else thought? If I could go back again, I would have asked you first. I would have asked what you thought about everything more than anyone else. And that that leads me to the second thing I, I realized at the Bema. What Jesus thought about, what Jesus valued, what he valued more than anything else is people. Loving people, serving people. See, up until that point, I'll I'll be honest, I I thought all of life was about me. That everybody was here to make me look good. And so I I wanted to have a a great wife so that I would look good. And I wanted my kids to excel so that I would look good. I mean, I thought all the world's a stage and I have the main part. And I used people more than I like to admit. See, Jesus is the opposite. Jesus values people. Jesus loved people. Jesus was able to look at any person and no matter their brokenness, no matter their problems, he could see their value because they were created in his image. That's why he sacrificed for them. Gave his life so that they could experience life, so that they could become what they were created to be. He did everything for others. And it made such a difference. You know, I I learned this lesson through one of the few times in my life I actually got it right. It was back when I was in high school. And I was a part of our youth group. And and we had this guy in our church, this businessman named Randall Burton. And Randall Burton was the most formal person I'd ever met. He always dressed very formal. But for some reason, he wanted to serve with our youth group. (laughs) And he would come and and he got a group of us of senior guys together. And he said, I want us to meet together. I'd like to invest in you guys. And when we got together, it was a little awkward. (laughs) 
I, I mean, I thought at the time there is no one more out of it than Randall Burton. He didn't know about any music. He never went to movies. He didn't even know how to talk about sports. I thought, what in the world are we gonna talk about? But over time, Randall would just listen to us. And he actually cared about us. And you found yourself opening up to him. And one day he said, Daniel, you need to learn how to share your faith. You need to learn how to introduce somebody to Jesus. It's not hard. Come here, I want to show you. And remember, Randall, he was formal. He was old school. And so he pulled out his Bible. He said, I have had this method I call the Romans Road. I was like, the Romans Road? He said, look, you just go to the book of Romans and you can walk them down the Romans Road and share the good news with them. He said, look, start right here, Romans 3.23. And you show them they're a sinner. All have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. Then he said, then you go to Romans 6.23. And it says, the wages of sin is death. But the gift of God is eternal life in Christ. And he walked through all these verses in Romans. And he said, see, Daniel, it's very simple. If you can remember the Romans wrote, you can share the good news. And I didn't think about it much till a few weeks later. I was at youth group one night. And I looked over in the corner and there was this girl. She was all alone. And prompted, I, I just went over to her and I said, hey, I'm Daniel. And she said, hey, I'm Sandy. I said, you're new here, huh? And she said, is it that obvious? I said, come on, Sandy. And I introduced her to everybody. And she was great. I mean, she just fit in immediately. Everybody liked her. Until one night, Sandy pulled me aside and I, I could tell she was upset. She said, Daniel, I, I need to talk to you. I said, Sandy, what's the matter? She said, Daniel, I, I'm not like everyone else here. I said, what are you talking about? Sandy, everybody likes you. She said, no, it's not that. It's just that everyone here keeps talking about a personal relationship with Jesus. Daniel, I don't have a relationship with Jesus. Can you tell me how to have one? <laughs> I panicked. In fact, as, as I watched it from the Bema, I saw the world's worst evangelistic presentation. I was so nervous and I had my Bible and I couldn't find the book of Romans. And so I just kept saying to her, Sandy, you're a sinner. It's in here somewhere. You're a sinner. You're a sinner. And finally she stopped me and she said, Daniel, Daniel, I know I'm a sinner. I just don't know Jesus. And so I stopped and I calmed down. And I just told her what Jesus had done for me. Now he had died how he'd forgiven me and that I actually believe he rose again. And I watched as we prayed together and again, her prayer was so simple. Oh, but it was so amazing to watch. As her soul went from darkness and death to light and life, eternal life, and in that moment, in the house of my life, there were suddenly rewards, gold and silver. And Jesus said, Daniel, your investment, your rewards, they didn't end there. I said, they didn't. He said, no, 
when Sandy went to college, she joined a ministry called Campus Crusade for Christ. She was passionate about sharing her faith. She led many people to me in a relationship. And for that, you received reward. I said, I did. And he said, not only that, Daniel, she married a godly man and, and they were determined and they discipled their kids. And for that, you receive reward. I said, I did. He said, not only that, she was a leader in her church and she invested in others and she served others. And for that, you received reward. And I said, Jesus, is there anything in life more valuable, more important than serving others, than sharing you with others? I said, Jesus, I, I didn't have a lot of times like that, did I? And he said, no, Daniel, I, I'm sorry you didn't. And then I saw Peggy. Oh, Peggy. See, when I went off to college, despite how I'd been raised and what I'd been taught, I thought it was the time in life you, you lived it up. <laughs> and so there were some good guys in my fraternity but they weren't the ones I hung out with. And so I started partying and drinking more. And then my relationship with girls, I crossed every line. And then I met Peggy. <laughs> she was so different, so wholesome. She wasn't a Christian, but, but there was just something about her that was just so innocent and I was so attracted to her. And so I started pursuing her and we started dating and it was great until I started pressuring her. And I told her, Peggy, if you love me. And then when we crossed those boundaries, everything changed. We started fighting more. And then one day, Peggy found out I had cheated on her. She walked up to me with tears in her eyes. She said, Daniel, is it true? And I couldn't say anything. She said, Daniel, I, I trusted you with everything. I said, Peggy, we both knew this wouldn't last forever. And she said, maybe you did. And she started to walk away and then she turned around and she said, Daniel Scott Matthewson, I hope I never see you again in my life. And I said, fine, Peggy, I hope I never see you either. I never did. Till today. I said, Jesus, what happened to Peggy? He said, Daniel, she was really hurt. She dropped out of school, married too early. In fact, she went through a couple of marriages. She had a hard time trusting again. And as he said it, I said, Jesus, it's all my fault. He said, no, Daniel, you have to own the pain that you caused, but you were responsible to Peggy 
but not for Peggy. Everyone makes their own decisions. He said, Daniel, the tragedy is you never introduced Peggy to me so she could experience life in me so that you could experience what it was like to have a godly relationship together. I was scared to ask, but I had to know. I said, Jesus, where's Peggy? And he said, she's here at the Bama. She is? And he said, yes. After her second marriage broke up, she had a friend who invited her to a divorce care group at her church. And there Peggy began to open up. She began to trust more. And as they loved her, they did the most important thing they could do. They introduced her to me and she experienced life in me. He said, Daniel, Peggy's at the Bema and she wants to see you. She does. <laughs> Jesus smiled and he said, Daniel, you're gonna find out in heaven, all relationships are covered with grace. And I thought about it. I thought if only I could go back. If only I could evaluate life based on what Jesus thought. If only I valued people the way he valued people. And the third thing that stood out to me that day, now I don't even know how to put it in words. It's just that, trust me, everything looks different from here. I mean, when you look at your life, and what you thought was going on compared to what was really going on. I think I saw this the most at my work. A, a few years before Jesus came back, I was sitting at my desk and my phone rang. I picked it up and I heard, Daniel Matthewson, this is Derek Hogan. Derek Hogan. He said, I've got my eye on you, Matthewson. I'd like to meet over lunch tomorrow if you're available. I said, of course, Mr. Hogan. He said, great, I'll have my assistant send you the details. Click. And I hung up. And I thought, Derek Hogan has had his eye on me? And the next day, I found myself in a private room at an exclusive club. And I was sitting there with a huge steak and an even bigger cigar that I hated but I pretended like I liked it as much as Hogan. And finally Hogan looked at me and he said, Matthew said, I'll cut to the chase. I want you to work for me. I have a good idea what John Mitchell's paying you. And I think with your starting salary, bonuses, a few incentives, you should be able to double that in the first year. Double it? And I composed myself, I said, well, thank you, uh, Mr. Hogan. I'll have to think about it. And he laughed. He knew he had me. He said, you think about it, but don't think too long. You may be at the top of my list, but I have a list and I move fast. When I was in my car on the way back to the office, I started spending money in my mind. I looked down at my car and I thought, you are so history. All I got to do is, is go back and tell John Mitchell. Oh, how am I going to tell John? See, John Mitchell, he was more than a boss. 
He was like a father figure to me. I mean, he'd hired me right out of college and he taught me the business. He walked me through all my mistakes. We had gone through the ups and the downs together. And I thought, I, I owe it enough to John. I, I just got to be direct with him. And so I went directly in, went into his office, and I told him about the offer. And he, he kind of laughed. He said, whoa, Daniel, Derek Hogan, you sure you want to work over there? I mean, that's a big outfit. And I said, well, I, I think I'm ready for it. And he said, oh, no, Daniel, you're ready for it. I, I know that you can do it. I, I just want to know that you want to do this. And then he said, Daniel, I'm not going to try to talk you out of this. I know that you've talked this over with your wife. I'm sure the two of you have prayed about it. And as he said that, I thought, prayed about it. What is there to pray about? Double the money. He said, Daniel, I guess more than anything, I'm just going to miss you around here. I've loved working with you, son. It was kind of awkward. I said, John, I, I just want to thank you for everything. And you know, you, you have my commitment. I, I, I won't steal any of our clients. And he said, Daniel, I, I know that. I appreciate you saying that though. And we shook hands and I was off to my new life. And, and I thought that I was living the best season of my life. I mean, when I got over there, I started closing every deal. Hogan loved me so much. I suddenly had tickets to the best shows and I was eating at the best restaurants. I was taking my wife on vacations we'd only dreamed about before. I was making more and more. But Hogan would slowly but surely, he'd ratchet it up, he'd raise the quotas. And I found myself working more and more and seeing my family less and less. In fact, from the Bema, I saw how many meals they ate without me. I saw my kids' games that I wasn't there. I saw my wife alone at church, always praying for me. And I, I thought, yeah, but, but this is what you have to do in this season. This is what you have to do if you want to be successful. And I wanted to be successful. And I thought I was successful. But from the Bema, I looked at me and I looked like a fly flying around a Venus flytrap. I saw how Hogan would, would hold out more money. He'd hold out that partnership. I saw him for what he was really like. And I realized I was becoming just like him. One day he, he walked into my office and he said, uh, Matthewson, I want you to get the Metro Center account. And I said, well, well, Metro Center is one of John Mitchell's primary accounts. And he said, I know, we need the business. I said, well, I kind of gave John my word I, I wouldn't go after his accounts. He said, don't tell me you were so stupid that you signed something. I said, well, I, I didn't sign anything. He goes, good. Nothing signed, nothing committed. 
That's why we have lawyers anyway. I said, I, I know, but Derek, I, I gave him my word. He said, Daniel, grow up. This is business. He said, I'll make it simple for you. Either go get it or get out. So I went and I worked my relationships. <laughs> and I seized Metro Center from John Mitchell. And I never looked back at what it did to him till today. And I saw how much it hurt his business. But even more, how much it hurt him personally. From that point, my life just burned up. I had nothing to show for it. Oh, I, I was making more and more and working more and more and wanting more and more. And, and over and over, I would just tell myself, it's just for now. It's just for now. Until that became the summary of my whole life. I was living just for now. Nothing for eternity. Jesus said, Daniel, it's time to summarize your life. He said, Daniel, you were given resources and opportunities that few people experienced. You were in the top percentage of wealth in all of human history, but unfortunately it was never enough. He said, Daniel, I gifted you in business, but so often you use that gifting for your ends and not for me and not for others. Daniel, you had godly parents. You were given a godly wife. But too often you took them for granted. He said, Daniel, in, in all of this, you had so many opportunities. But so often, even though you heard the truth, even though you were taught the truth, so often you failed to live out that truth that you heard. And as he said that, it hurt, but it was true. And I thought there was nothing worse he could say. But then he looked at me and he said, Daniel, in summary of your life, you left your first love. And when he said it, I knew it was true. He'd done everything for me. And I had left my first love. And I didn't even want to look at him. But he put his hands on my cheek. And he forced me to look up in his eyes. And he said, Daniel, you left your first love. But your first love never left you. And then he got up and he, he put his arms around me. And he pulled me close. He said, Daniel, I love you. I've always loved you. There is no condemnation. 
And then he took his hands and he put them on my cheeks and he, he wiped away my tears. And I thought, oh, this is what it means when the Bible talks about him wiping away every tear. And when Jesus wipes away your tears, they're gone forever. There's no tears of sorrow in heaven. No tears of pain, no tears of regret. In heaven, the only tears are tears of joy. Then Jesus held me and he said, this is my son, Daniel. And in that moment, I was changed. I was glorified. I I could feel the, the, the glory of God like energy pulsating through me. And I looked out. Everything was new. And and I realized that that everyone in the stadium was cheering for me. And and as I flew back to my seat, I looked out and I saw my wife. She was cheering for me. And I saw my kids and they were standing up and cheering. As I took my seat, I watched the rest of the judgment and I appreciated it that much more because now I knew what each person was experiencing there. And when the final person was finished, they flew back to their seat and there was a hush over the stadium. We all sat there wondering what would be next. And then next to me, my, my friend, Angara Kansuke, he rose to his feet and, and I thought, what are you doing? And he flew down to Jesus' throne. And he took off his crown. And he laid it at Jesus' feet. And I thought, I'm watching one of the most beautiful acts of worship. And then all throughout the stadium, People left their seat, they flew down to Jesus and all of them, they were placing their crowns at his feet. And all of us, we were just staring at Jesus because we realized all of this is about him. How much he loved us, how much he had done for us. And all of us just wanted to worship him. And so we went to our knees And we just bowed before him and we began to worship him as those who are glorified. We fall down, we lay our crowns at the feet of Jesus. Greatness of Mercy and love at the feet 
And all of us, we all wanted to worship together. So all of us, we stood to our feet, stand with me as all of us wanted to just glorify Jesus, to worship him for all that he's done through human history.
finished our praise and took our seats. And Jesus rose from his throne. He said, my beloved, the judgment is finished. Next, there will be time of celebration and feasting. But go now, go be with each other until you are summoned into the marriage supper of the lamb. And in that moment, we all took off. All of us, all at once. It was like the greatest fireworks display you've ever seen. And we started finding each other. And I immediately went to my wife and I told her, thank you. Thank you for the gift you've been to me. And I saw my kids and we were celebrating together. And I turned and, and there was John Mitchell running like the father of the prodigal son. And he threw his arms around me and he said, Daniel, I love you. And I said, John, I love you. And I turned and I saw Sandy. She was so radiant. She walked up and she said, Daniel, I just want to thank you for sharing Jesus with me. Thank you for impacting my life. And I said, no, thank you, Sandy. Thank you for being impacted. I needed you today, Sandy. <laughs> and I turned and, and there was Peggy. And as I looked at her, I, I saw grace in her eyes. And we began to walk together and talk about how good God had been to us. 
when I, I heard a sound in the distance and I thought it was the, the summoning trumpet, but the more I heard it, it, it didn't sound quite right. Like it didn't quite belong in heaven. It almost seemed irritating. And I sat up in my bed and I turned off my alarm. It was a dream. It was a dream? No, no, I, I don't want it to be a dream. I wanna go back there. I wanna be there. But then I thought, Daniel, how many times did you say at the Bama, if only I could go back, if only I could live my life differently and live for the things that count. And in that moment, I felt like Jesus said to me, Daniel, this dream is a gift to you. A gift for you to think about your life so that you from this point forward can live it differently. Live for the things that matter. And I started to get excited. <laughs> and I looked over at my wife to wake her up and I, thought it's still very early. <laughs> and I jumped out of bed, but I didn't do my old routine. I didn't head to work. No, I went down the hallway. I just had to see my kids, even while they were sleeping. And I made a commitment. Things are going to change in this house. It's going to be different for you guys. And I went to my study and I got my Bible out and I started looking through it for everything that it talked about, about judgment and, and where's Bema. And, and I saw it, it was in there. It's in 1 Corinthians 3. And then I saw another passage, 2 Corinthians 5 and, and even Romans 14. And I thought, it's real. The Bema is real. Maybe not all the details of my dream, but I knew I'm gonna stand before Jesus one day give an account for my life. And so I got down on my knees. And I said, Jesus, I don't want this to just be good intentions. And so I commit to you by your power and your strength, I, Daniel Scott Matthewson, will stop living for today and start living for the day. In Jesus' name, amen. Hey, I wanna to talk to you for just a moment, not as Daniel Matthewson, but as Tim Lundy. And I would say in my life, the story of the Bema has been a gift to me because it's forced me to think about my life. And every time when I go through it again, it forces me to reevaluate of am I living for the day? And you just need to know, I recommit every time. 
And I want to give you that opportunity today. There's some of you here today, you're not even sure you're going to be at the Bema because you don't know if you have that foundation, that relationship with Jesus. And I hope you saw in this, it's not a profound prayer. It's just a simple prayer, but it changes everything. I'm going to give you the opportunity to pray that with me. And for all of us today, I would hope Daniel's prayer becomes our prayer. That we would commit to Jesus and give to him everything. Our resources, our life, our time. And live for the day and not today. So I'm going to ask everybody, would you just bow your heads? Let's not waste this gift that's been given to us. And if you're here today and you don't know for sure that you have a relationship with Jesus, you need that foundation today. You need to tell him right now, Jesus, I know I'm a sinner. Tell him, I know I need your forgiveness. I believe you died for me. Will you forgive me? And will you save me? Just make that prayer, your simple prayer. And it changes everything. And for all of us today, I I would ask that we would together recommit ourselves. And instead of saying, I, Daniel Scott Matthewson, will you, before Jesus, say right now, say I and tell him your name. I commit to you today by your strength and by your power, I will stop living for today. Start living for the day. Lord, that's our prayer. We thank you. We thank you that even in this room, eternity was changed for some people. We thank you that you're so gracious to us. You give us wake up calls like this. You give us gifts like this so that we can evaluate our lives. Lord, I I pray that not just in this room, but during this week in every facet of our life, would we live for the day when we will see you face to face. And we pray this in Christ's name. Amen. We hope today's message encouraged you in your journey of faith. To keep up with the latest messages and what's happening, make sure to subscribe to this podcast and visit venture.cc.